Welcome to Royally Fooled. My name is Chris Shearer. Usually we'd be talking about history's best, worst, and craziest rulers, but we are not doing that today. It's the 1st of April when this episode is being released, so I figured I'd do something a little special. I always try to keep things as historically accurate as I can here, well, besides going into a couple episodes over King Arthur. Well, for a bit of a prank this year, not really a prank, but just go with it. I thought I'd like to cover a ruler not from history, but from fiction. That way I get to have a bit of fun with the show, you get an extra episode, and we all have a grand old time. Now, there are millions of fictional rulers who have graced books, plays, movies, and video games throughout the millennia that humanity has existed and told stories, but I'd like to inaugurate this show with one of my all-time favorite fictional characters, Queen Maeve of Connacht. Now, if you don't know who Maeve is, she's a figure from the Ulster Cycle of Irish mythology and legends. She's a classic warrior queen who serves as, more or less, the main antagonist of the Ulster Cycle, one of the groups of stories within Irish mythology. She's especially well known for being the antagonist of Ireland's most famous epic story, the Tarnbo Colonna, also known as just the Tyne, or by its English translation, the Cattle Raid of Cooley. As the briefest of summaries before we get into Maeve's story proper, the Toyn details Queen Maeve's invasion of the ancient Irish kingdom of Ulster in order to steal a prized bull. Due to a curse on Ulster, the only man standing in the way of the army of Connacht is Cúchlan, one of the greatest heroes, if not THE greatest hero in Irish legend. He's essentially a mix of Hercules and the Incredible Hulk, which I'll get into later. There are many battles fought, and an insane amount of people die. There's a lot of historical research done over the time, such as when it was first recorded in the oral tradition, to see if there's any sort of historical basis to it. In my opinion, the story very much reads as, this is why this location is named this, and they really wanted a cool backstory for every hill, river, and forest in Northern Ireland but there will be time for any sort of real historical lesson later. We're here to talk about Maeve. So without further ado, let's begin the story. We're jumping into the mythological world of gods, heroes, and battles that was the Ulster Cycle in Royally Fooled, Maeve of Connacht. <laughs> I find the myths and legends of Ireland to be very, very interesting. If I was not doing a podcast over history, I would be on a deep dive of Irish myths 24-7. I love them. However, it's incredibly frustrating to study Irish mythology and the Irish pagan religion because we essentially don't know what the real stories are like. Okay, let me explain that. So we know all about Greek and Egyptian mythology because the original cultures wrote them down. Who were these cultures' gods, and how were they worshipped? Well, we have first-hand accounts from different points in ancient history. With Ireland, that's not the case, at least for the most part. Before Ireland was Christianized in the 5th century CE, all of Ireland's mythological and legendary stories were told in the oral traditions. Bards were a big deal because they had all of the history and stories, but they had that all memorized in their heads, not on paper. So when these stories were finally established with paper and quill, it was Christian monks. Yes, they were Irish Christian monks, but they were still Christian. 
In the Tuatha Dé Danann, the Irish gods were no longer allowed to be gods, they were sorcerers or fairy-like beings. Time periods were switched around in order to better line up with Christian history. The entire stories were created to echo the timeline of the Abrahamic religions. Yes, we still have stories of the Tuatha Dé Danann, Cúchulainn, and Finn McCool, but these stories were butchered and pieced back together with a Christian agenda. Also, as a side note, the same exact thing kinda happened with Norse mythology. The stories we have over Thor, Odin, and Loki are heavily biased in the favor of just one dude. Anyway, that diatribe aside, let's talk about Irish myths and legends as a whole before we focus in on how we get to Maeve and her story. There are four main groups of stories called cycles. First is the mythological cycle, dealing with stories of the Tuatadanan and the first Irish people. It's not super well preserved and is the most Christianized. The second group is the Ulster Cycle, which we'll talk more about in a second. These stories mostly deal with the Kingdom of Ulster in Northern Ireland. Third is the Fenian Cycle, which tells stories of the Fianna, a group of Irish knights slash mercenaries led by the legendary hero Finn McCool. Fourth and final is the King Cycle. This cycle tells the history of the kings of Ireland, ranging from completely fictional kings all the way up to the very historical rulers like Brian Boru. So let's now jump into the Ulster Cycle. Ulster was a historical kingdom in Northern Ireland that was mostly under the control of Clan Uled. Traditionally, meaning once they were written down, the Ulster Cycle was said to have taken place somewhere around the 1st century CE, meaning around the lifetime of Jesus. And for a very long time, elements of the Ulster Cycle were taken as historical fact, such as the names of historical places and groups. We now know that most place names in the Ulster Cycle are entirely anachronistic and would not be used until centuries later. For instance, Maeve ruled over the Kingdom of Connacht, a name that wouldn't exist until the medieval era. The stories in the Ulster Cycle mainly focus on King Conor MacNessa of the Uled and Cúchulainn, the demigod hero of Ulster and foster son slash nephew of Conor. Also, heads up for anyone who does know these stories, I'm using the name Conor instead of the actual name Krahur because I learned to pronounce the name as Conovar, which is apparently wrong, and I'm sorry Ireland, but I just don't like the pronunciation Krahur. In more modern times, historians who studied the Ulster Cycle believe these stories were much older than we think, and figures in them were actually much more important for the Irish pagan religion. Heroes like Cúchulainn may have once been worshipped as gods, or at least aspects of certain gods, until time watered down the stories and monks completely replaced any religious undertones that may have remained. A woman who, in the oldest stories, may have been a goddess of sovereignty, is now simply known as Queen Maeve of Connacht. Maeve was the daughter of Joed Fiedlich, the High King of Ireland. Joed had ten children, six daughters and four sons. For some odd reason, Joed decided he was going to solidify his relationship with Conor McNessa, the new High King of the Uled in Ulster, by having Connor marry four of his daughters, Maeve included. Yohid, before he was High King of Ireland and just High King of Connacht, had previously gone to war with Connor's father, the previous High King Fakna Fayach, and killed him. Also, remember, we are in the Ulster Cycle, and in the Ulster Cycle, Ulster is the good guys. They can do no wrong. 
except for when they do, which, yeah, we'll get into that. So, Maeve and her sisters, Etna, Muwen, and Kloru, are all married to Connor. Well, Maeve doesn't really seem to think this is cool, because it's not cool, so she gives birth to a son, Amalgad, and then leaves Connor. Maeve then quickly grows to hate Connor and sets out to make his life hell. First, she kills Etna, her own sister. Not only that, but Etna was pregnant with Connor's son when Maeve drowned her. Luckily, Etna's son was born due to a post-mortem cesarean section birth, which, sororicide aside, is wild in itself. Sometimes the stories switch which sister is killed, uh, Etna or Chloru. Yoid must not have particularly cared about Ethna or just really loved Maeve the most because he'll do something kind of weird next. Yoid used to be King Connacht, but now he was High King of Ireland. The current King of Connacht was a man named Tidney McConry. He was experiencing trouble with other local nobility trying to vie for the throne. So several kings in Connacht, Tidney included, went to Tara, the seat of the High King of Ireland. While in Tara, Tindy killed one of his rivals. In response, Maeve's father exiled him. In his place, Yoid crowned Maeve as the new queen of Connacht. She received the fortress of Cruachan, Baron de Rathcroen, though it's unsure if the fortress had originally been Tindy's or if Yoid had it built for his daughter. Well, despite being exiled and no longer the king of Connacht, it's said that Tindy would sometimes return to Cruachan where he was Maeve's lover. During this time, many of the kings of Ireland were either jealous of or outright hated Clan Ulet. Since Connacht was the biggest rival of Ulster, the minor kings would often come to Maeve and ask her to lead them in a war against Connor. Despite her seeming dislike for the king of Northern Ireland, Maeve would never actually entertain the offers by the others. It wasn't until she was given another reason to despise the King of Ulster that Maeve and Connor's lifelong rivalry would begin. High King Yoid was throwing a festival at Tara, and all the other High Kings of Ireland were expected to come and join in the festivities. Every ruler showed up except one, Maeve. Okay, so the original story titled Maeve's Manshare doesn't give a reason for why she didn't show up. The story is from many centuries back, so they didn't really need to give reasons for that kind of stuff back then. Let's just say she didn't feel like it. Well, the other kings of Ireland started asking the High King why his daughter wasn't in attendance. Yoid sends one of his personal servants, and the text points out this servant is a woman named Sharbloth, to tell Maeve she needs to get her butt to Tara ASAP. Maeve suddenly decides, oh yeah, there's a festival and I should be there. Like I said, old story, modern story conventions don't apply. Maeve stays in Tara for about a month and a half, and the story also makes it sound like the festival goes on for that long. Must have been a really great party. After a while, all the kings and chieftains leave Tara to go home. All except Connor. One day, Maeve goes down to the nearby River Boyne to take a bath. Connor, being truly horrific, follows Maeve to the Boyne without her knowledge. There, he attacks and rapes the Queen of Connacht. 
Perhaps it was out of revenge for Etna, perhaps he just saw it as his right as the King of Ulster. Either way, it was a horrific thing to do. When Maeve informed her father of what happened, word spread quickly throughout Ireland. Obviously, everyone was already raring to fight against Ulster, and now they had a sanctioned reason to do so. Among her main allies in this war against Connor, sometimes called the Battle of the Boyne, were Sribend MacNeil and Gioidala, both kings of Leinster in southeastern Ireland. During the war, Tindy challenged Connor to single combat. The king of Ulster would prevail, killing Maeve's lover. Sribend and one of his sons would also be killed during the Battle of the Boyne. In the end, Ulster would come out as the victors. Remember, this is the Ulster cycle we're dealing with. Even though Connor is actually an abhorrent figure, he's still supposed to be this great legendary king. It's disgusting, but what are you gonna do? Yoid Dala took control of the army of Connacht and helped safely lead the forces back to Cruachan. To thank him for his role, Maeve agreed to marry Yoid with one major stipulation. He was to be without fear, meanness, or jealousy. There were two major reasons for this condition. The first was that Maeve had a gesh on her that she would marry a man with those qualities. A gesh is something in Celtic mythology and folklore that can act as either a curse or a personal vow. They were taken very seriously and breaking a gesh could result in your death. For instance, the hero Cúchlan had a gesh upon him that he would never eat dog meat or refuse food offered to him by a woman. Guess how those two collide later on in his life. Anyway, the second reason for this condition was that Maeve just really loved to sleep around. The stories never really seem to portray this quality as anything bad, or at least I've never interpreted it as that way. So, points to Ireland for not slut-shaming Maeve. Yoidala agrees to keep these three traits in mind, and he becomes Maeve's second husband. Suddenly, enter Alil Mikmata. Alil, in Maeve's manshare, is said to be the son of Skrebend. I don't know if this is supposed to be the same Skrebend who appeared earlier. Depending on which story from legend you read, Alil's father could be one out of about a dozen men. Let's just say he was the son of that same Skrebend. Elil was a young warrior who came to Croachan in order to join the army of Connacht. Over the years, Elil proved himself to be a powerful warrior who was capable of defending the borders of Maeve's kingdom. Since Maeve loves strong warriors, she decides to take on Elil as her new lover. Despite having agreed to not be jealous as part of his marriage pact, Yoidala indeed becomes jealous of Maeve's relationship with Elil. The King of Connacht challenges the young warrior to single combat. After what I'm assuming was either an intense battle or a completely one-sided fight, Elil overcomes and kills Yoidala. With her husband now gone, Maeve makes the best of the situation and marries Elil. Together, Maeve and Elil have eight children. They only had one daughter named Fenivar. All seven of their sons were named Mana. Okay, so their sons weren't originally Mana, so it's fair to say that Maeve hates Connor more than anyone else in the world, right? One day, she asked a druid which one of her sons would kill Connor. One, why couldn't she just kill him herself? I think that would have been better storytelling. Two, bold of Maeve to assume one of her sons would kill the King of Ulster. 
The druid responded that Connor would be killed by her son named Mana. Well, like I said, their names weren't originally Mana. To make up for that, Maeve has them all renamed to that, and they all have a nickname so it doesn't get confusing. Unfortunately, Maeve didn't specify which Connor would die by a son named Mana. So, years down the line, her son Mana Andoe kills Connor, a distant relation to the King of Scotland, not Connor McNessa. Whoops. From there, time passes and a lot goes down in Ulster that we don't have time to explain. Read The Wooing of Emer or The Exile of the Sons of Ushnach if you'd like to learn more about that. Anyway, back to Maeve. One night, she and Alil are lying in bed. Things seem to be going well when suddenly Alil makes mention that women are happiest when they're married to wealthy men. Maeve asks what he means, to which her husband responds that Maeve is so much better off now than she was when she was married to Yehoidala. Maeve scoffs at this idea, insisting that she has much more personal wealth than Alil. But what at first seems like a possibly playful argument soon erupts into a full-blown argument as all of their earthly possessions are pulled out and matched. They have the same amount of gold, the same amount of precious jewels, fabrics, same, sheep, same, horses, same, cows, same, bulls. To Maeve's surprise, Alil had a prized bull that she could not match, Fienbinach. By the way, that's bull like the male cow and not like the dining ware. Ironically, this bull had been born to one of Maeve's cows, but she had given him to Alil since Fienbinach was the runt of the litter. Unwilling to be defeated, Maeve decided to get herself a bull that was equal, though hopefully better, than Fienbinach. When she asked one of her heralds if he could find such a specimen, he told her that he knew of a great bull called the Don Kuanga the Brown Bowl of Cooley. This bowl was found in the Cooley Peninsula in modern-day County Louth. Back then, the land was part of the Kingdom of Ulster. Untroubled by this, Maeve sends her herald and several men to see if they can get a loan on the Don Cooley. The herald arrives at the farm where the Don Cooley is kept and informs his owner of the offer. To the herald's surprise, Don Cooley's owner is all for the deal and provides a lavish feast for Maeve's men. During dinner, the herald tells the others that he's really happy the owner agreed, otherwise they would have killed him and stolen the bowl. Unfortunately, one of the owner's servants was nearby and heard the herald say this. He then tells his master who chases off the men of Connacht, obviously without the bowl. Weird considering they said that they would kill him if he refused, but eh, you know. Back at Krohan, Maeve asks her men where the bull is. They tell her what happened out in Ulster. Maeve becomes incredibly furious that she can't one up her husband, so she comes up with the obvious solution anyone would have in this situation. She gathers up every soldier in Connacht and orders them to march on Ulster. Don Cooley would be hers, and she would take him by force. Okay, so cattle raids in Ireland used to be this really big thing. Several stories out of myth and legend focus entirely on cattle raids essentially turning into all-out wars. Historically, the wealth of a king or wealthy landowner in Ireland could be measured by how many cows and bulls they owned. 
While you could go about things in Maeve's original plan, ask for a rent on a cow or bull and maybe use them to give birth to more cows, the easiest thing to do would just be to get a band of soldiers from your kingdom, hop on over to the next land over, and steal their cows to add to your local king or lord's personal wealth. So while the Toyn is very far-fetched in some regards, the idea of the central conflict essentially being, hey I want this prized bull, is not actually completely off. And here's the thing about Ulster during this period in time. All the adult men were under a curse from the goddess Maha after she had been forced to run in a race against the Ulster men while pregnant. After giving birth to her child after winning the race, she essentially forced the men to feel the pains of giving birth to a child whenever they were in dire straits. However, this pain would last for several days. That's why you don't get on the bad sides of gods and goddesses. The pains did not affect women or children. It also did not affect the demigod hero of Ulster, Cúchlin. Did Maeve know about this curse? It's not entirely clear. Maybe not. However, there would be people among her army that did know about it. Not long before Elil ticked off Maeve, Ulster had been fractured by internal conflict. A large group of its soldiers defected from the northern lands to Connacht where they swore fealty to Maeve. Since they were no longer men of Ulster, they were no longer affected by the curse. Among this group was Connor's son Cormac and foster father Fergus. Fergus was somewhat hesitant to raid Ulster because he knew that Cúchlin would be there to stop them. So who was Cúchlin, the single man to stand up to Maeve's army? He was the nephew of Connor by his sister Dechtina, but his father was the Irish god Lu. The way I described Cúchlin earlier is that he's basically what you get if you mix Hercules with the Hulk. He's a very strong and skilled fighter, however get him angry enough and he turns into a monster, literally. This is referred to as his battle rage or warp spasm. He turns into a horrific humanoid monster who's even stronger than his already superhuman level self. In this form, he could take on an entire army if necessary. Completely undeterred by this fact, Maeve steps up to the challenge of Cúchlin by having her army challenge him. However, after figuring out that he is incredibly strong and entirely capable of defeating her army, she hopes to slow him down by engaging in a bizarre truce. Maeve must constantly send out single soldiers for Cúchlin to fight in single combat. Cúchlin, being the demigod that he is, always handily defeats his opponents. The weirder victories he has against the men of Connacht are usually used to give a story behind the name of a local landmark. Like you straight up get sentences that are, this man was killed at his hill, or these sons were killed at their ford, with the possessives there implying not that they have lived there, but that these landmarks were named after them. A few times Cúchlin killed people closer to Maeve, including one of her handmaidens and her pet Stoat. I'd like to say that she did this next bit out of outrage, but it's actually more of Maeve just kind of being the antagonist. In order to spur on more men to fight against Cúchlin, she tells the army of Connacht that the man who kills the hero of Ulster will get to marry her daughter, Finnevar. More men fight? And all of them die. This continues on for a while.
while Kuklin is busy being held up by one-on-one -on -one duels, Maeve at one point just skirts around the demigod with some of her soldiers and finds the Don Cooley, who during this time had been hidden away. However, at this point, defeating Kuklin almost becomes a mark of pride for Maeve. While it's a long track back from the eastern coast of Ireland and Cooley to Kruhan in the west, she might as well kill a legendary hero while she's at it. Unfortunately, no one is capable of killing him. The only man in her army who might be able to beat Cuchulain is Fergus, but when the pair meet up, they agree to a personal truce not to kill each other. More killings happen until Cuchulain is taken out of commission during a fight against a man named Ferdia, who, depending on who you ask, is either his best friend or his former boyfriend who defected to conduct with the others. Cuchulain had won the fight against Ferdia, but the single battle had lasted for several days so he was injured and needed time to recover. During this recovery period, the other men of Ulster are finally getting over their curse. There is one last climactic battle between the forces of Ulster and Connacht. By this point, Maeve has her prize. She could have just gone home. Heck, even Finnever had killed herself after finding out how many men Maeve had sent out with the promise of marriage to her daughter. Even if Maeve won against Ulster it would still be a Pyrrhic victory. Then, the story decides to get weird. Gulen recovers from his wounds and rejoins the battle. While the fighting goes on, Maeve suddenly is overcome by a sensation. Depending on which version of the toying you read, it's either stated that Maeve suddenly just really has to go to the bathroom or is beginning to menstruate. It's a really weird passage, but it happens. Well, while she's out in the woods by herself and taking care of things, Kuklin happens to come upon her. Maeve is obviously absolutely furious that the demigod sees her in that state. However, she also fully accepts that Kuklin has her at his mercy. Now, Kuklin is a man who places honor above all things. He could have easily killed Maeve there and called it a day. It would have been a victory for Ulster. However, he decides to show mercy to the Queen of Connacht. In fact, he goes above and beyond in the weirdest way and decides to let Maeve go and escorts the army of Connacht back to their homeland with the Don Cooley. Look, Ulster is ultimately considered the victor of the Toyn considering that they pushed back Maeve and prevented the kingdom from completely being destroyed, but Maeve got exactly what she had wanted from the beginning, a bull that was better than any owned by her husband. Hundreds of men were killed, her own daughter is dead, and for what? A single bull. Oh, but that's not where the story ends for Maeve as it comes to the Tyne. When they finally make it back to Krohan, the Don Cooley senses Elio's bull, Fjernvenach. The two bulls immediately start attacking each other right in front of the people of Connacht. After a long fight, Don Cooley ends up goring Fjernvenach to death. The Don Cooley then turns around and starts making his way home, but not before falling dead just at the border of Ulster. I don't know if the time is supposed to be considered a dark comedy or some weird sort of moral story. Like I said, it actually just comes off as a story explaining why things are named the way they are. But it certainly is entertaining. 
It's a weird legend that pits a demigod against a kind of maniacal queen. Truly, Maeve ends up with nothing even after she vaguely wins. She's probably worse off to be honest. But with both prized bulls dead, technically her and Aaliyah were equals once more. The later years of Maeve's life were filled with hatred, revenge, and death. Maeve conspires with a group of men related to those killed by Kuhlin. The group decides that they believe they have what it takes to kill the demigod. Well, fate sides with the conspirators when the Morrigan, the Irish goddess of fate and war, also decides that it's time for Kuhlin to die. Maeve is usually not depicted as being present at Kuhlin's death, though. As for why she decided to kill him after the hero had offered her mercy, Eh, different stories being written at different times. Moving on. For a while, including throughout the entirety of the events of the Toyin, Maeve had been sleeping with Fergus McRoy, the foster father of Connor. Aaliyah put up with this for some time because, as I had mentioned earlier, Maeve's husband swore they would allow her to do as she pleased and without jealousy or anger. Well, Aaliyah decided he'd had enough of saying he was okay with his wife's affair and had Fergus killed. Later, Maeve decides to have Aaliyah killed off because this marriage clearly isn't working out. The reason for her actual hatred to Aaliyah at this point is that her husband is sleeping with other women. Kind of ironic, but whatever. At a certain point, one of Kuchlin's old buddies from Ulster, Conal Kernach, is staying within Kruachan. Maeve directs Connell's attention to Aaliyah and tells him that Aaliyah was the one who killed Fergus, a man Connell greatly admired. In a fit of rage, Connell kills Aaliyah, but he himself is also cut down when trying to escape. The last revenge plot of Maeve's life happened at the very end. Now, if you'll remember from the beginning of this story, Maeve killed her pregnant sister by drowning her, but that sister's son survived after a post-mortem c-section. Well, that kid, Fervada, eventually grew up with a burning hatred for his aunt. He finds out that every morning, Maeve bathes herself in the same lake. He sets up a wooden stake in the lake which is the same height as the queen and practices shooting at it every day until he's good enough to hit an apple on top of it. Well, one day he's near the lake when Maeve happens to be bathing. Someone points out to Fibatha that the woman bathing is Queen Maeve. The boy hastily scrambles around for his slingshot, but the only thing he has at his disposal for ammo is a piece of hardened cheese. Deciding hard cheese is better than nothing, Fibatha loads his slingshot and hits Maeve square in the head, killing her instantly. According to legend, Maeve is buried on top of Knocknaray, a large hill in County Sligo, Ireland. There's a large cairn, a pile of stones acting as a monument, that is set to mark her tomb. Now, I've never been to Ireland, but you bet that's one of my top spots I would visit if I'm ever given the chance. I love Irish myths and legends because sometimes there are these long, epic stories of heroes taking on entire armies by themselves. Other times it's the antagonist of a literary cycle dying by being hit in the head with cheese. I love Maeve because she gets to play a role in bold types of stories. 
Do I think she's a good person or even a good ruler? No, of course not. But she's a villain that gets to be evil to a semi-comical extent. I mean, the entire premise of one of Ireland's greatest legends is Maeve got so upset that she waged war against a demigod just so she could own a bull. In more modern times, Maeve has been raised up as a pillar for female empowerment and sexual freedom. There's probably better fictional characters to hold up for that standard, but I won't judge if it means one of my favorite legendary figures gets more spotlight. More research into her possibly also being based on a goddess of the old Irish religion also proves that Maeve was perhaps one of the most important figures in ancient Ireland, who was eventually reduced to the role of just a human queen. But for now, that's it for this episode of Royally Fooled. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to follow the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. I hope you enjoyed this new type of episode, even if it will only be around for once a year. So until then, please continue to enjoy regular episodes of Royally Screwed. I hope you'll join me next year for another topsy-turvy look into fiction's most interesting rulers. <laughs>